Dan, you know what I really miss? The lead-in banter. I guess me kind of pushing your button should have been our lead-in banter. That should have really been the lead-in. Here, yeah. I can do it again. Yeah, go ahead. Try it. No, I'm so nervous about this. I guess the context is Brian is about to go to Edinburgh to a fringe festival. And you said you were kind of to moderately jealous. And I said you should be supremely jealous because it's the coolest thing you can do, I think, as an artist. And you said, well, you don't really know what you are anymore. And I was like, oh, that's right. You're not really an artist or performer anymore. And you went, ouch. And then I kept digging in. I haven't performed in a while. You don't have any inclinations to do it soon. Um, I don't, I think you're, I think you've lost your artist card, Ross. Yeah, that hurts that? so fucking hard. <laughs> have you ever wondered why it is that we do what we do and who we do it with? Then this is a podcast for you, an exploration of human beings through systemic psychology and Unani biotypes with Rodrigo Garcia Platas, Ross Everett, and Brian McElhaney. This is Biotypical. That really grinds my gears, but I've noticed that when people ask me what I do, I would say... Uh, I'm a filmmaker, but na- but now I really lead with the the temperamental <laughs> psychology thing, like the yes, oh, you yeah, do company. And you do that all the time. I know. I wonder about that. People are like, I, I don't really have an answer to this, but some people are like, like I think it's because some people in LA are like, I'm an actor, and it's like, well, where have you acted? Well, I haven't, but I am an actor. And it's like, well, you have to do it to call yourself that. I'm not sure I believe in that, but some people do, and it's one of those things where. I do sometimes go like, well, I say I'm this, but really, I don't really ever do that, but I do do this stuff all the time. So should you define yourself by what you do, the results you actually make in this world, or what you think you want to do but haven't done yet? You know, like what you do, Ross, like your actual time and energy, where is that spent? It's a thousand percent spent on RGP development and biotypes. Well, I'd say 75% because I I also do the the social media marketing and, and whatnot, but this Maybe you're just an artist like, in hibernating. I, that, you know what? I appreciate that out because that is how I feel. I really feel – so I had an ex who And I don't I'm, – I'm not actually saying you're not an artist. I just want to see what happens. I know I'm an artist because I just made plans to go up to San Francisco to finish my web series. Like I'm going up specifically to film this, this <laughs> scene. And I'm like – it weighs on my subconscious because I love performing – Seeing you on stage. By the way, we came to go see. Uh, uh, it was it was me and uh, some other people uh, went to go see Brian perform his one hour show of <laughs> untested material, and he was that was fantastic. so much fun. But I think I had I'm a like, great time. Wait, hold on, hold on, Brian. I am I am still an artist because remember I wrote <laughs> our weekend in Vegas with Barack Obama and produced a live table read on Zoom that you were a part of. I'm not saying you're not an artist. That wasn't me. That was a character I was playing to push I know, your buttons. I know. I'm defending myself to myself. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> that's, because whenever you say that stuff, I, like, I try on that coat and I'm like, oh my God, this, this fit. I don't have any plans to go up on stage. I, you know what it is? I have desire to. And Sage, I'm so happy that you're here for this conversation. Our guest today is Sage Shulofsky. Um, and we'll oh, sorry, to, Sage. We got lost a little bit. Yeah. Um, how are you? But we're <laughs> meanders, man. And uh, my, my phlegmatic self is going to feel real sensitive that like maybe we're boring the choleric. But if we ever uh, get that way, just feel to explode at us and, and we will both cower to your dominance. But um, I won't cower. <laughs> like the Hulk. 
We'll I feel invincible <laughs> after that Saturday performance. It was good. It was uh, really good. And but th- like you know, now, now my brain is like giving me all the evidence of like, no, Ross, you do know comedy because I had a billion notes. Um, and and I think I understand comedy and I think I understand story very well because whenever you and I talk about it, I think I, I land some really solid points and I give good feedback. Like how I wrote your entire Britannic show. You actually had that joke. You still, it hit the Swedish chef one, the Chinese I know. chef. Yeah, that moment. It's hit a, me. <laughs> that's a fun one. Um, uh, oh, you know what's so funny is that the, the patrons are recognizing Sage's name. <laughs> Why Sage is that? on on the podcast. Can we talk about your connection to uh, RGP development? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm okay. an open book. All right, perfect. We're gonna we're gonna talk. Oh wow, Brenda's got a real connection to you, Sage. Oh yeah, just through your, through your fiance, Ooh, um, partner in BYB. Yes, yes, that's a pretty big connection. Just Part- so so those like, of you know, I remember my partners. Rodrigo is coming. He's just in traffic, and I'm sure we're gonna hear a lot about the shitty hotel that he was leaving this morning. Uh, that hasn't be late. Is he still in LA? He is. Uh, yeah, he's here in Los Angeles, and um, I, I, so I, I usually book Rodrigo's hotels just because it's I have the app on my phone, and and it's usually a last minute thing that we do through. Uh, I would give them a shout out, but right now I'm kind of pissed at them. A third party app, and uh, the place where he normally stays was booked up, so I was like kind of scrolling and, and looking, and I found two options, and I asked Rodrigo, "Would you rather stay closer, or would you rather stay in a nicer hotel?" And he said, a nicer hotel. So I booked what I thought was a nicer hotel. Turns out this was a nicer hotel in the 80s and has since stopped being updated. And he sent me like photos and videos of this place. Uh, that man needs to learn to live off the land. Who cares? <laughs> I, do, I don't I love bullshit hotels. It's the best thing in the world. But I think it was like he just said, it's dusty. You know what? I, I would have enjoyed it. I think... For a night, just because I would have been like, wow, this is a bad experience. And I kind of enjoy single night bad experiences, especially if I have somebody else to joke about it with. But if I'm fucking tired after a long day of work and I go into a bad hotel and I have another big day of work the next day, I'm going to be pissed too. So I don't know. We'll we'll see how he, uh, we'll see how he does when he comes in. Um, but we'll get him up and running. Sage, why don't you take this moment to introduce yourself? Unless we need, does Ro, does Rodrigo know you, Sage? Yes. Yes. Oh, great. So I'm the only one who doesn't know. So I think we can maybe do introductions right now as we wait for our master to arrive. Oh, I hate, we were out the other day and people were calling him <laughs> guru, like as a joke. And it made me so uncomfortable. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because people so that much- know him? Yes. Like the coaching certification. What made you students. uncomfortable about it? Because I think that we live in a world that's really sensitive to anything that seems kind of cultish. And uh-huh. uh, to call someone guru, like it just reminds me of Keith Raniere from Nexium, Vanguard, right, right. you know? And yes, I see what you're saying. Like a lot of those cults are built off of, like basically what they do is they do similar stuff in terms of like, we're going to have you question your beliefs, but then they install beliefs into you. And that's where it gets confusing because questioning your beliefs is what gives you egoic freedom. Right. Right. Um, yes. But anyway. The day Rodrigo demands, we get a Rodrigo tattoo on our body. Uh, we've reached a new level you and I'm going to do it too. Yeah. 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 Uh, you won't know it's a Rodrigo tattoo. It'll have to, you'll turn it sideways. Why? Because, 
because that's how it works. They go sneaky. Oh, you think that that he'll be very upfront about it? It'll just be his face? Rodrigo will. He'll be like, can you get my face on your buddy? <laughs> you know what you should do is so do like a piece of toast with his face like burnt into it. Right, exactly. I would, do, I would do Rodrigo toast, but I don't think I would do Rodrigo ink. Interesting sentence that's never been said well, before. Yeah, I know. But also, it's more of an affinity for bread than it is for anything else. Um, okay. You just want toast in general. Doesn't care whose image is on it. I yeah, it would be hard to put an image on toast that I would not eat. But I'm sure we could find one. I mean, uh, swastika comes to mind at first. Would you go? Oh, eat it immediately. Interesting. Interesting. Or if someone burned in the phrase "this toast will give you cancer" into it, I might have a hard time. You'd believe it. it. Um, we don't have to talk about that right now. <laughs> it's a complicated answer. <laughs> I don't, think it, I don't think it would give me cancer, but I do believe that intention can go into food. Um, I want to talk to What Sage. if it was a photorealistic? <laughs> all right, I got one. It's a photorealistic thing. You've seen um, a human centipede, right? It's yes. that, but you in between two elephants, but you're all connected human centipedes. No issue with that. None at all. Not a no. single issue. It's, no. It is photorealistic. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I, I think okay. I'd be like, wow, this is this is really incredible. Like the 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 attention to detail that's gone into this toast is mind blowing. But any I think patrons I'd, that know how to draw well or utilize graphic art, um, well, you have a um, a uh, mission ahead you of you. A mission, which is yeah. a human centipede with Ross, whose mouth is sewn to the anus of an elephant in front of him. He was shitting into an elephant's mouth behind him. Boy, we need Rodrigo here because yeah, it's going yeah, off the rails this, real quick. This is what happens without Rodrigo. Let's go to Sage. Let's go Hi, to Sage. Sage. What's, what are you, Sage? Who are you? What's going on? What am I? I am a white heterosexual man from Planet yeah. Earth. <laughs> I knew it. Different ways could he answer um, that? No, I am a, so I'm a choleric uh, in the, the biotype context, um, sub-melancholic uh, with a promoting personality. Wait, so you're choleric or you are with a promoting personality? Is that what you said? Correct. Gotcha. He's a uh, sub-melancholic. Gotcha, gotcha. And he's done BYB and he's done the biotypes and sales. So one of the big reasons why I asked Sage to come on the podcast today is because, A, we don't have a ton of cholerics on. And it'd be good to get the choleric point of view on a couple of things. And B... He's done very well with the biotypes and sales in such a way that he joined a new company that sells solar. They, like they, you know, I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'll enlighten us about the infrastructure of the company a little bit later. So I'm going to say yeah. it in a general capacity and you can correct me later. Is that cool? Sure. So he joined this company that sells solar and quickly skyrocketed up to such a high percentage, like a, the, the top percentage of salespeople, that he won a trip with the CEOs within the first six months. Do I have that timeline right? Yes. How many people work for that company? Um, <clears throat> at the time, it was over 4,000. Uh, at least it's over 6,000 now. So it was 4,000, and then you became one of the top how many? Is it a percentile? Is it a top five? 25. Top 25. 25. Yeah. So out of 4,000 wow. people, you, you leapt over a good 3,975 of them to uh, win a spot on this trip. You say 25% or top 25 total? Top 25 total. Oh, yeah. That's more impressive, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so this is something that's, cool uh, that I... That's top 1%. 
uh, almost half of 1%. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like, all right, now I'm impressed. Now I'm impressed. Yeah. He, I thought so, it was top 25% so he's, at he's first. He's done well. And then we've also talked a lot. I mean, a lot of people listen to this podcast because they're, they are interested in being in a relationship. And I'd say a large constituency of our, our, our listenership uh, falls into the phlegmatic fire category. Um, for whatever reason, I still haven't quite figured that out, why that's the audience that's drawn here. But what's up, ladies and gents? Why it's phlegmatics? The, no, why it's um, like we have a large uh, fake fire uh, listenership. Well, because they're still in the phlegmatic. I mean, the phlegmatics are drawn to this more than any other biotype, I feel like. What's really cool The melancholics is- are too skeptic and the sanguines are too often their own thing. You know <laughs> they saying? say, uh, one of our patrons says, because we're fascinated by the water that's within us. But we get a ton yeah, yeah, of relationship exactly. questions. And here we have Sage, who's engaged to a fake fire. And they've both done BYB. And I want to hear oh, wow. about their relationship dynamic. Because here's the thing that I see out in the wild a lot, right? Um, in the wild. Out in the wild, out, out in the real world, per se, is about, fake fire. when you're out with those elephants. In the yeah, Savannah, out, out, out of the elephants. Doing what you do with yeah. them. We all know. Looking we for exist. a mad scientist to sew us nose to tail. No I, I feel like um, a lot of the, the, the fake fires love, are so attracted to cholerics. And I think like the baseline relationship, like when, you, when you're going based off of like the level one or the level two attractiveness, it's, it's going to be phlegmatic, choleric. And then Rodrigo's read so many people on Instagram lives and also on the podcast where the, okay, perfect. He is here. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. Brian, will you make up some commercials while I go over Commercial treat? break? Give me something to sell. Solar. <laughs> solar. It's like solar power? Heck Yeah. Hey everyone, have you ever wanted to harness the sun? What's the sun you might ask? Well, it's that big, bright, glowing god in the sky. You're scared of it? So am I. You don't have to be anymore, because now you can harness solar. What does that mean? It means that those dirty devil rays aren't here to kill you anymore. You can take them, twist them up, put them in your house, and make your tea kettle go toot toot toot. That's right, make your tea kettle go toot with the power of the evil sun. Come in today. Alright, another one. Love it. Wait, we got one. Dog toys. Hey, Ross, you got a dog, right? I do have a dog. It, what does your dog chomp on when it's bored? My dog loves to chomp on bones. No, let me tell you something. Have you heard of dog toys? Toys? Toys. It's like bones, but fake. You get a little plastic, you get a little chomp chomp, you get a little squeak squeak. No longer is your dog chomping on bones, humans, vultures, whatever you give it. And that's good, because you don't want dogs to chomp on bones. You know why? What? I'm so confused. Why, Brian? Once we have bones, we can put together a skeleton, reanimate them to life for the army of skeletons. I had no if idea. if chomp on bones, then we can't do that. So get yourself a little squeaky dog toy. Your dog will have fun, and the army of skeletons can survive. I had no idea that my dog was prevented the army of skeletons from rising again. Ah, how irresponsible. Most dumbasses like you don't. Anyway, buy yourself some dog toys. I'm sure they're for sale wherever you want to buy a dog toy. And, um, you know, just don't tell them I sent you. Whatever you do. Don't mention my name to anyone. Paid for by the army of skeletons. All right. (laughs) The uprising of the army of skeletons. All right. So we're ready. You guys can all see my bedroom. Um, welcome into my most Bro, can you dig through space. some shit in there and just sort of see what you find? <laughs> Army of skeletons in the yeah. hey, Right, Ro, can you like dig through some shit in that bedroom and just tell us what you find oh. and uh, how it feels, the texture, the 
things that are on certain things. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even uh, need to do that. I have an amazing story for you. Did Ross tell you where I came okay. from? I heard it was a bad hotel. <laughs> okay, so here's the actual story. We're 44 minutes in. We have not spoken to our guests <laughs> once. Anyway, continue, bro. <laughs> here's the little story. Uh, so I did a training last weekend. Then I changed hotels uh, because I had another training, well, a workshop on, on Monday night that I finished at 4 a.m. I had an address of a hotel that Ross was going to, <laughs> to book for me, but then he changed it. He asked me if I wanted a better one, and I, I, I only had one address, so at 4 a.m. I just went to that hotel. We didn't have reservations. We stayed there, but Ross had already paid for another hotel, so I got, got out of that hotel. Uh, we worked yesterday, then I went at midnight to that other hotel, which is an hotel that was probably abandoned in the 20s. And that's why it was so cheap, clearly. And then I ran out of it with like ghosts chasing me. And I literally found out that the hotel was built in the 20s. Wait, I'm sorry, zoom up for a second. You ran out with it literally with ghosts chasing you? That's exactly what it felt like. Like I had a, a couple of old people behind me, very nice people, but they were both complaining about the hotel. The wife was saying, can we just go back to pay a little bit more? Like things like that is the, the experience that I had. Yes, yes, the skeleton army is alive. Sage, what do you do when you're in a bad hotel? Do you demand a refund? Do you write a negative review on Yelp? Like, what's your go-to? I just had a very unpleasant experience at this establishment. That's a good question. I mean, I haven't had that many bad hotel experiences. The one, like, worst hotel experience um, I had was I was going to a concert, and I was about 18, and I chose to pay $60 for that hotel room. So I knew what I was getting myself into. And, uh, as I was like signing, you know, giving them my license or whatever, you know, I, I saw, uh, you know, uh, a crackhead walk past outside and, and you might ask, how did I know it was a crackhead? Well, I went and I, and I talked to this person and, uh, and they asked me, you bought crack. Well, no, actually, I, wa- I was walking to my room and they stopped me and asked me if I wanted any crack. <laughs> um, there you go. So, uh, but other than that, I've had really great uh, hotel experiences and I stay at Airbnbs a lot. Do you know what the real problem is? The real problem is when the employees of the hotel clearly know that the hotel is terrible and they could not care less. Like standing in front of the person in the counter and them going like, oh, you're that person from that reservation, right? Ugh. Like the valet parking literally stood at, uh, at midnight and watched me get my bags when I'm legally disabled, like for 20 minutes without asking a question. They don't care. They know it's a terrible place. They know that there's nothing they can do about it. And they know that no one's going to complain to them. Like the, the manager is not going to do anything about it. So when you see that the employees of the place have already given up completely, that's where you know you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can I tell you guys a quick funny hotel story? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when I was, so uh, when I got Omicron back in December, right around Christmas, I drove from New York where I got it down to Atlanta to, for Christmas. So I, dr- I fucking drove straight through. It was terrible. And so I'm driving. I stopped one night for a motel in the very southern part of Virginia, where like Virginia meets North Carolina, I think. Go to like a quality inn, not very quality. Uh, I check in at like Spell 1 a.m., right? With the woman at the front desk. Right, <laughs> and she gives me the keys. Nice Southern woman gives me the keys. Thank you so much, sweetie. Have a good night's sleep. I go upstairs, right? I open the door to my motel room and it goes like shkunk and stops like two inches after it opens because it's like latched from the inside. Oh. You know that thing? And I was like, what? And then I look and there's a woman lying on the bed and she kind of looks up and I'm like, oh shit. 
closes the door. And I was like, that's never happened before. I start walking away. The door opens again. A guy comes out. Remember, this is 1 a.m. He's putting on a tank top. And he goes, hey, man, man, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah come on in, come on in. And I was like, what? He's like, we're, at, we're getting out of here. We're getting out of here. You can come in. You can come in. And my brain was so foggy that I was like, okay, I can come in. He's like, yeah, 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 come on That's in. That's not so your brain being foggy, you. Brian. That's uh, like an, a Brian adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I was like, I was like, I started walking towards the room and I was like, wait a minute. You guys should leave the room before I come into the room. And he was like, no, nah, man, just come on in. And I was like, okay, wait, no, no, you guys should leave before I come in. And then I was like, wait a minute, you shouldn't be in this room at all. Like, what am I, I'm, I'm sorry, I have to go. And like, I went back to the, like the front desk and I told the woman, I was like, hey, there are people in my room. She's like, there's people in your room. I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, that's Sharon. Sharon had the shit before me. She's new. I, oh gosh. And I was like, okay, I don't know what Sharon's all about. So she gives me the room next door. And I go in to try to go to sleep. And then I just hear this woman like banging on the door of the room she gave me before. Like, who's in there? Who's in there? Come on out. What are you oh doing in there? God. And I'm just like trying to sleep next door. And then like a person comes out and they start like yelling at each other. And I was like, this is crazy. I hope I don't wake up to like a murder scene outside of my apartment. But it was, I was very strange to open a door to your motel room, see a person there, and then have another person come out and just sort of be like, come on in. It's fine. It's fine. Come on in. And almost do it. Because I was just sort of like, they seem nice. <laughs> why, why not? Why not join this like couple? I've had that exact same experience once. I was in Guadalajara doing a training. And it was my company renting like the lobby of the hotel. And I had a bunch of people staying there. Uh, but there was a huge convention. This was a Fiesta Americana in Guadalajara. And there was this huge convention, but like everybody was 20 years old. I don't know what the convention was. It was something about college, I guess. And then I, they give me my room. I walk into my room. And the first thing I realize is that there's stuff in the room. Like there's someone's belongings, a suitcase, a backpack, everything. And then I notice the smell. There's someone in the bathroom who just like destroyed the toilet, clearly. Just did a Ross, as I call it. <laughs> I need Just, to apologize. Uh, I'm sorry that that experience was bad for thou. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> so, um, anyways, the guy comes out and I go like, what are you doing here? And the guy starts celebrating and trying to hug me and says, we're roommates. Yay. We're roommates. We're roommates. And I'm like, we're not roommates. What the hell is happening here? And the guy like, was partying clearly and didn't understand that I was not part of his convention and that I was not supposed to be in the room with him. And when they gave me a, like, they gave me a suite to apologize and the guy was planning to move to the suite with me because there was no way to have a conversation with him about what was going on. Wow. He was just fully convinced yep. that you were his, his bud. We were buddies. Wow. That happens and to he lives with me now. all the time. <laughs> now he's there. He's there. It's Danny. <laughs> Wow, okay, so we've all had crazy hotel experiences, but let's get back to stage. Yes. Guys, we've so got to get back to stage. Let, He's let me, here. Let me pick up where I left off because I was talking about how a lot of our listenership is filmatic fake fires and how yes. I always see that them, they are trying to ask, what's the best biotype combination for me? Because they've always tried to be with an unbalanced choleric who, and Rodrigo, you've said this to so many people on lives, that... Fake fires love the power of a choleric until that power is tried to use on them. Like once the choleric has an opinion about the fake yep. fire, that's where explosions happen. So yep. here we have Sage who's engaged to a fake fire. They've both been through BYB. 
Um, I want to hear from Sage about this relationship, how it started, the hiccups that you maybe had there, and then after BYB, the understanding that you got as a cleric from your point of view um, about what changed in you uh, after either learning about biotypes or, or, or doing BYB. Is that a long enough question for you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, so you may need to refresh me as we get the answer to the first question. But um, but yeah, basically, let's see, how did we meet? Uh, we met through my previous job and uh, she was only there for a month because uh, she found a, a real job, um, as she put it. Um, uh, she, she didn't, she didn't want to be doing what she was doing, even though she was great at it. Um, and, but that worked out well for us cause we didn't have that weird dynamic. So after a month, um, oh, and, uh, hey. <laughs> guess who arrived? She's blurry in the background. There she comes. <laughs> Let me unblur. And by the way, uh, Carol works with us. We, we love Carol. Carol is, yes, is our, our saving grace here at RGP development that, that, just keeps the wheels on when when uh, <laughs> we run out of wheels. Um, <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, thanks, Carol. And yeah, so, nice to meet you, Brian. I like know who you are in the periphery a lot, but it's nice to meet you. You as well. Uh, it's gotten really weird today uh, with your fiance here. So, <laughs> I figured uh, as much. <laughs> it's been strange. Uh, but we're just talking about you. Yeah, it was all him too. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to kind of? Finish sharing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, go for it. Um, <clears throat> so when we first met, I mean, we had both gotten out of a long, like, multi-year relationship pretty soon prior, and neither one of us were, you know, looking for a relationship at all. Um, so it was very much like a surprise, kind of serendipitous thing. Um, and uh. You know, she, she, she approached me initially, um, and yeah, and, you know, and, and it just kind of, we, we hit it off, um, and started hanging out pretty, pretty soon, you know, every other night <laughs> of the, the week, um, you know, either I was at her place or she was at mine, um, but we didn't like really tell people we were dating or make it, you know, official or anything like that for probably about six months or so. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were just kind of enjoying not having a definition on it and letting it, you know, be what it was and develop organically. Yeah, right? there was no definition, but we we made like agreements around exclusivity and it was really it was the first time that I was honest about what I wanted. So because we met and weren't planning on being together, we were really ourselves with each other. There was no facade of who I thought I should be or anything like that. I was just like, well, this is who I am and let's see how this goes. And it just kind of kept getting better. And so when I was ready to be exclusive, I just told him that I was like, I'm at a point where I want to be exclusive and I want to know where you're at. And it's okay if you're not at that point. But um, I want to decide if you're not what that means for me, like if you're seeing other people. And he was like, actually, I was seeing someone else, but like, I don't need to be seeing them anymore. And so we just kind of respected that. But it took about six months until I was like, I'm ready to be official. And he like a few months later was like, OK, like, let's make he did it on April Fool's Day because that's the kind of guy he is. <laughs> We're like laying in bed. I like this like, guy. Yeah. He's like, do you want to like. So I think like we should, you should be my girlfriend sort of thing. And I was like, is this a joke? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's really not funny. <laughs> like, 
Um, you always have a way to pull out now, years down the line. You're like, what are you talking about? It was always a joke. 20 years that. later. Oh, man. Um, and then it was kind of moved forward in that same fashion where whenever I knew where I was at, I just said, this is where I am. And there's no pressure for you to be in the same point. I just want you to know, cause the phlegmatic in me, like can't hold it in. It's like a secret <laughs> like when I'm feeling that kind of emotion. And so I was like, I'm going to actually share with him, but I didn't want him to feel like he had to be with me or had to make a choice. That wasn't his truth either, which you know, I didn't even know that's what I was doing. It wasn't until later reflecting on it, but I just knew he wasn't the kind of person that I could tell what to do. I just needed to be honest. And we, yeah, it's just been really, really wonderful. I think it took us, we didn't become like Facebook official for almost a year until right before I went on a road trip with my sister. And he's like, we need to be Facebook official. Like you're leaving the state, like Facebook official. Um, I didn't say we need to be Facebook official. A little bit. Yeah. But it was, um, but I, yeah, I suggested at that yeah. point. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's, I guess that's kind of like the inception story of a relationship. <laughs> so I, Ro, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of direct this to you, but Sage doesn't seem like the typical choleric and Carol doesn't even seem like the, the typical fake fire. Is that kind of why this works? Um. <laughs> Yes, like very clearly. The thing is, he's not a it's controlling like you choleric. download your information when you sigh. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. It's, okay. It's, it's always start putting the ideas in order to try and explain how I see it. But none of them are actually controlling. And that really helps. Like he's not a controlling choleric. She's not a controlling fake fire. And that like right off the bat completely changes everything. But the fact that they're, they... They were able to connect without having intellectual battles and not getting emotional about the intellectual battles. That's what's the key. Because in a relationship with a, with a choleric and a, and a fake fire, the problem is that people don't argue what they really believe. They argue things that they're making up and then create emotional meaning to how other people reacted to them. It's like examples that we've talked about in the past when for a while, I wasn't able to say certain things about a city because if I had a fake fire from that city, they would take it personal. I would feel like I'm literally talking about their worth and their value and who they are when I was just commenting about someone I met in that city years ago. When fake fires and cleric start creating emotional meaning like that, usually the cleric doesn't realize what's happening. The phlegmatic is just creating this diary of meaning about what this cleric doesn't like and how judged the fake fire feels. And that that's what destroys the relationship. That's why they, they don't like the choleric strength against them. Uh, but if you're either not creating emotional meaning about the things that they talk about intellectually, then they're actually building a relationship. And that's what these two guys actually did. How's, I mean, I'm seeing you guys nodding. Yeah, it's very much yeah. like that. But there have been times I'm nodding because there have been times when that does happen where like the intellectual battle comes, comes up with us. Yep. And we like those have been really difficult, but we, we decided like very early on in the relationship, it was like, we're a team and we're on the same team. And so even when we're like intellectually arguing, usually we'll like take a step back and it's often me that'll be like, I still love you. And like, I'm, I'm sorry. And realize that like coming back to who we are and what actually matters and using it to to not let the intellect get in the way of who we're being together. And then we can actually like work through that and understand where we're both coming from. 
Um, cause it, it does come up sometimes, right. It's like the, the intellectual battling, but we've, we've found ways to not let that, like, we don't keep tallies of that or we just, we, we actually get honest with each other and we've created a space where it can be hard, but we can do that together. The thing is that that's the crucial part because we all trip in intellectual like arguments all the freaking time. The problem is the post fight. <laughs> the problem is like being able to sit down and break it down and say I'm sorry for the emotional stuff and and completely forget about the intellectual stuff that we were just making up to win the battle. <laughs> but the problem is that most people cannot do that. Most people are in the middle of the battle. They make up things uh, just to try and win the fight, just to try and make the other person feel like, respect me, I'm worthy, I'm worthy, I matter. And then in the middle of that, that becomes important. They forget, uh, they forget what they were even talking about and the only thing that matters is she didn't respect me uh he never remembers what i said in the end she has never said i'm sorry you know that's what destroys relationships so one thing just to add to that is that as a choleric right i i am very motivated by results and one of the thing that I, things that i loved about you know doing the byb workshop is that through my understanding of you know just her and, and understanding BYB and, and how phlegmatic fake fires operate and relate and how they get triggered. And then also myself, I, I've been able to slow down to speed up, so to speak. And that like, when she has an issue, instead of going immediately to solving it, um, because that's what I want to do. I'm like, if we can get from point A to point B quicker, let's do that. Um, and, and she's like, well, I need to take this time by allowing her to take her time and space. I actually do get the results that I want quicker, which is, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, um, and so it's been, uh, it's been really interesting, like, you know, and, and I know this might sound cold, right? Me talking <laughs> about it this way. Um, but, but like, I'm really committed to her having, you know, having a, having a good experience and feel listened to and, and cared for as well. Um, you know, but you know, in the moment I get very much like, okay, this is the problem. What's the solution? Um, so, so yeah, that, that's one big takeaway to kind of answer your question from earlier, Ross, of just like, you know, as a choleric, how that's been helpful in our relationship is understanding like how we respond to triggers and, uh, both, you know, allowing her to have her process and uh, facilitating that and also advocating for my, my own process as well. I, I, I actually have a question for Carol because Carol went through BYB before Sage did, correct? Yeah. Did you notice, Carol, a shift in Sage just by your, like, process? Like, I'm, I'm guessing, like, were there stages of the evolution of the relationship? Yeah, 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 very much. So we also went through, as you know, Ross, you were one of our seniors. We went through MITT basic advanced LP together. Um, so we went through all stages together, which was really what jump started. I'd never done transformational work before and it was my first time. And so it was like we were thrown into it and we're like, let's see if this relationship works. Who's, whose idea was it? Sages. This is interesting because I feel like a lot of the, the things that I've heard uh, out there, people kind of haven't done work on themselves like they maybe they're in therapy independently and this is i guess rodrigo if you can kind of weigh in if a relationship between a fake fire and a choleric is to be 
successful with because we we see here it can work right um and like you know then the fake fire gets the benefit of the dominance that they're so attracted to in the cleric and the cleric gets to be with the the softness of the fake fire and selling having her power which is is attractive as well so do you notice a, a difference rodrigo in couples that choose to do work together versus independently i feel like even when people do the work independently there's always a, a period of adapting to to the person in front of you um for example, this is something that I deal with with the Jewish community a lot in Mexico, which is they marry really young. So the final stage of their identity was actually created together. And and when you create that stage of your identity together, there's good news and there's bad news. Uh, let, let me break like this specific area down. Um, usually the good news is that it starts feeling more like a relative. It starts feeling more like someone that will always be there no matter what. And the uh, like unconditional commitment that that's created when you, when the final stage of creating an adult identity happened together. So when people are going through that stage together while also growing, it's usually amazingly good. There's other drawbacks to, to that system. We can talk about it later. Uh, but, uh, Sony says like uh, interdependence. Yes, but not in a codependence way, but like interdependence literally. Like I like I'm I'm building something together and I'm independent, but I know that I'm connected to the people around me that have the same project and the same goals. Yes, that's exactly right. Now the thing is most couples are actually getting together at a way older stage right now in life. And the more you wait to start working on yourself, the harder it will be to adapt to other people around you. So if you worked on yourself really early on and you have the right tools and you know how to adapt to the people around you, then two people that have done a lot of work like human development, like transformation, like even therapy, like our couples curriculum, like BYP, if they did it on their own and they really worked on themselves, when they meet each other, they're going to have the tools to adapt, but it will still be a little bit challenging. But couples that work together, stay together. And I don't mean work like in the same company. I, I mean like couples that really want to work on their relationship at the same time when both of them have the intention and not one of them feels like it's being dragged into it. Those are the couples that will stay together because they're, they're showing that they're willing to let go of masks and fears and ego just in order to keep this relationship. Like just crossing the door with two people that have the true intention of working on their relationship, that saves the relationship itself. That just means that a as a therapist, you give them the right tools because they have the intention in the right place. But when one of them is still holding back and trying to defend themselves, that's where the problem starts. But I feel like the best way to work is giving people enough tools as they're growing up. And then as soon as they start a relationship, getting the tools about how relationships work, traumatic compatibility, and how to be there for each other, those are the really successful couples. Were they kind of lucky yeah. that it was Sage's idea and not Carol's. Like if Carol was like the one that was like, let's do this together. Because we have so many people that they're like, my husband's choleric or my boyfriend's choleric yeah. and he doesn't want to do this. It, it's almost like it's harder for the fake fire to get the choleric to move than it is for the choleric to get the fake fire to move. Well, it's way easier for the masculine energy to be directional. So whoever the most masculine person in the relationship uh, is, if they choose the growth, it's going to be way easier for everyone else in the, in the family to choose it and the relationship to choose it. But when it's the softer side of the relationship, it's more of a begging 
It's more of a let's please do this. Maybe this will work. And then the controlling part of the relationship will almost want to sabotage the, the growth that you could have together just to prove that they were right, that they knew what was wrong with the relationship in the first place. Well, at the later part, we're going to talk about biotypes and sales. So maybe we can kind of revisit <laughs> how if you want to work on your relationship with your partner, you can use biotypes and sales to yep. uh, sway that. Well, in a relationship, you're always selling yourself. Go on. <laughs> I mean, a relationship is about literally giving to the other person while also proving through your growth and your independence, your self-worth to have this person always excited about who they're with. Do you have to consciously do that or is that an unconscious thing? Most people do it unconsciously if, if they have a practice, like if, if they, if growing for them is important, if evolving for them is important, but there's a big percentage of people that just want to find a soft place to fall and just like stay within that exact same way for the rest of their lives. And for a lot of people, that's actually walking into a relationship. So once I have the relationship, if I already had a job and I'm financially stable, I mean, I'm not thriving in any way. I have no projects. Uh, the relationship was the final thing on my checklist. Then you're looking at me being independent and powerful. But now that I have the relationship, I'm done. Like growth is over. I'm not reading a book. I'm not like challenging myself at all. And that one starts becoming a problem because being in a relationship is also understanding that people evolve. And if you're not at the top of your game, being proud of who you are and, and falling in love with yourself constantly and believing that that's your partner's job and they already did it, so that's covered and that's it, then I'm not going to make my partner want to grow if I'm not growing myself. And I'm going to make my partner attracted to me if I'm not evolving myself. And I won't feel challenged if my partner's not growing either. That was actually, that makes a lot of sense. Early or like midway through the relationship, we were like, I think it was actually after an MITT thing, the, like people were like, when are you guys getting married? When are you guys getting married? And Sage was like, we're not getting like very resistant to it. And it ended up being a great conversation around like why or why not marriage. And we talked about if we were to get married, it would be not a destination, but a process that like, it was a part of our journey together, but it wasn't like we're there and we're done. Um, and I think just that understanding for him was like, oh, okay, it's not like that's it. Like, and for me as well, it made it more exciting. And I think it's very much to that. It's that desire to continue growing. And it's not like, okay, now what? It's like, okay, now what? <laughs> very different. It's literally the only <laughs> way to make it work. Yeah, you can't. That's true. We sort of treat it as like, and the end. I mean, so many movies, it's like the marriage is the end of the film. And they it's live like, happily ever after. Unless it's the right. graduate. Have you, you guys know the yeah. end of the Yeah, which graduate, is also right? the end, but it's yeah, in a yeah. different way. Yeah, very much. You've so. seen The Graduate Row? Oh, well, you've got to see The Graduate because it ends you on one of You could see just like the, a, the last scene of The Graduate. <laughs> you could, but yeah. like... Isn't it something I mean, about some Nazi guy and his basement and something like that? That's apt pupil. Nope. Oh, then I have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. Um, Dustin Hoffman, like got him famous in the 70s. Um, uh, anyway, it's yeah. for later. Yeah. Okay. Uh, two things I was going to say. The first is, how long have you guys been dating? Did you say? Three and a half years. Little, yeah, a little, a little longer than that. Almost four, yeah. How long were you together before you did MITT together? A year. Wow. Nice. That's great. That was perfect. That was perfect You're very timing. connected as a couple, like very close. And also the way you like 
Carol, the way you look at Sage when he talks, like you look at him very intently when he speaks, she, which is no one has ever looked at me like that when I speak. They normally look away from me. Because, because you're not choleric, talking. Brian. You're not choleric. <laughs> as hard as I try. She used to see me on stage, Rodrigo. Him like that. Like even when we were in MITT, we'd have like Zoom calls and stuff like that. Whenever Sage was talking, Carol would always be looking at him like that. It was, <laughs> so, it was something that we noticed. It was. <laughs> it's like you're studying the movements of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and, and can we agree that in his BYB, like Sage was like the unofficial captain of the team? Oh yeah. One hundred percent. He was like the the glue, and so was Carol and hers. Like they're 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 a very nice complement to one another, and they're leaders in their own capacity, which is what I think. When people, the term is power couple. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. And I think this is power kind of what couple. people want, but they don't know how to. Boy, am I sensitive about the words that I'm choosing right now. Um, but I'm like, I, yeah, <laughs> no, it's just like, like, it's like leading, it, leading, but in different capacities. And I think about this a lot when we talk about relationships and compatibility and how it's like, if it's two controlling forces, you're going to butt heads. Like something cannot occupy the same space and time, you know? So if there are two things that are competing for the same role within a system, you're going to have conflict. But yeah. what I've always viewed as, e viewed as equality is not we're going to do the same things, but we're going to have an equal share of the capacity in a relationship. And you know your domain and I know mine. And of course we can like fluctuate, but it's, I, don't, I don't want someone who's me. I want someone who complements the me that I bring. And, and I think that's something that, that you guys do well together because it's not like you guys are battling for the same seat. You guys are like, oh, thank goodness. Like there's someone to fill the seat next to me while I hold this seat that I very much want to be sitting in. I'd say that's, that's very accurate. I mean, for, for me, definitely, you know, feeling like we both have a lot that we bring to the table for each other, but also, you know, for other people in our lives into the world, but there's, you know, everyone has strengths and weaknesses. And I think that we're very fortunate that, you know, we balance each other out, uh, pretty well in, in those strengths and weaknesses. And then we also, you know, have a lot of things that we enjoy in doing in common. Um, you know, so, um, but one thing that was coming to mind too, like, as we were talking about this, and I think that has been really helpful in our, like not getting lost in, um, you know, and it happens at times, but, you know, being able to pull ourselves out of, uh, you know, getting lost in uh, the analytical, like, or ego, right, conversations or arguments is really like breaking down what something means to each one of us individually and not assuming that uh, even words, like even just like a specific word, like, what is, what is that, what is your definition of that word or what does that mean to you? Because, I don't know. I'm really interested, like fascinated by etymology. And so like we talk about that a lot, like with a certain word or a phrase or sometimes I'll say it and she'll hear it one way, but that's not how I meant it. And so, um, you know, we have a lot of conversations like like that, um, which, uh, you know, helps us to like better understand ourselves, but also, you know, e each other. And so, I, you know, I have a really I feel like I know her, you know, really well for, for three and a half years, but there's obviously a lot more, uh, a lot more to go. Um, but part of it is like, we enjoy having those types of conversations, um, where we really get into like the nitty gritty of, of, uh, you know, meaning around something. 
And I'll add that that bringing back to to BYB, I think a lot of what BYB gave us was shared language in understanding Mm. the different experiences. So especially as a fake fire, but deeply as a phlegmatic, it was really frustrating for me, like his non-emotional reactions. And I'm like, is it (laughs) giving it the meaning? Like, is it because he doesn't care? Like, I care so much. Why doesn't he care? And then being able to to shift that and see like he does care, he just like expresses it differently and it's not the same as me. And so in terms of the stages of what that looked like, like first was me dropping into my phlegmatic and a lot of what stemmed from that was him, was me actually saying, please accept my emotions because we'll get through this faster together. And me actually understanding why I would get so stuck and why I'd be like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then it wouldn't be fine. And then it would like, you know, as we talk about blow over and explode because I'm a fake fire. And then feeling frustrated. He's like, oh, I thought we already like solved this. You know, why is this coming up again? (laughs) But then it was like, actually, I really need you to just be allow me to feel this, like hug me if that's what I need. Don't hug me if that's not what I need. And then let me talk about it. And then and then I'll want your solutions. But I've got to process that first. And he was like, got it. Results if I let her process it. And so <laughs> I, I knew what I wanted. He could actually then provide that and say, OK, here's what we're doing together. And then stepping. You just needed to explain it in choleric language. Yes, yeah. exactly. I, I literally <laughs> needed the verbiage. I was like, I know what it is, but I don't know how to talk about it. But then I was also judging myself for having all of those emotions, right? As a fake fire. I'm like, why am I so upset about this? Why is this so difficult for me? Why am I so like overly emotional? Why am I so all of these things? And suddenly it was like I could accept myself. And then by like accepting myself and and loving that part of me and seeing that not as a weakness, but as something beautiful, I could then like be like, hey, you can love this about me too, right? Like this isn't a problem. Um, And so that was like the first part of it was me really learning how to express myself. But then it kind of went the other way where it was like suddenly I'm expressing so much that for him it could feel overwhelming. So then a couple months later when he did BYB, it was really about learning that balance and that space. And so for a while he, he had this, like, I don't feel the way you do. Or like at one point, I think he was very like, I just don't have feelings as a cleric. And I was like, I know that that's not true. It's just going to look a little bit different. And I also needed to learn to give him space to feel or not feel right. And one of the things that we really worked on after BYB was me allowing him to be angry. Like he could be angry with me or at me or just in general angry. And he could actually express that. And he realized that that wasn't going to break me down. That wasn't going to hurt me that like that it was safe for him to feel that too. Um, And I think that that because that's his emotions, that's the choleric equivalent. Exactly. And suddenly it was like, Oh, we can really be emotional with each other in this way. I mean, as you know, Sage is very well-spoken and so he's always been good at, at articulating and, and talking, but it really leveled the emotional connection and being able to be each other with each other in a new way. And that goes back to that. There's always more room for us to grow and it's exciting every time we hit that level and we can think about it and say, oh, wow, like we couldn't have done this six months ago or a year ago, but we can actually solve these things together And it feels less intimidating because then there's no expectation for the relationship to be perfect, just that we keep showing up for each other. Um, And really it comes back to like choosing each other and the relationship. And, and it's been really beautiful. 
So I feel like you guys don't need our help. I feel like you guys got it. Not anymore, clearly. By our help, I mean Rodriguez. (laughs) No one needs my help. Yes, we do, Brian. By the way, some some of my students that I had on Monday went to your show and told me that you were fantastic. Oh, shit. Wait, the stand-up show or the... uh, the Britannic show. What what you did with Nick? Oh yeah, yeah, that was a Britannic. Yeah, someone. Yeah, some people showed us up on Wednesday. Yeah, that was they crazy. were from Mission Vital. Oh wow! Like literally from Spanish speaking groups. It it was great. But <laughs> I I do have a question for you guys because I know when you might need us again, and I'll be there for you guys. Um, are you planning to have kids? To be decided. <laughs> We've talked about it, but not, not anytime soon. Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting conversation because when we started in the relationship, I mean, I was I, like for a long time growing up, like I was pretty clear that I wanted to have kids at some point. You know, I like the idea of being a father and just the 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 challenge of that like feels seems like you know the ultimate. <laughs> Uh, challenge and um, and to be able to do a, a good job with it and I think that I could um, but you know and then also finding a partner that you know I think would complement really well right and so um, and and be a good mom um, but you know we like Carol was resistant to the idea when we first she didn't want kids at all and you know as we like talked about it. I was never like pushy about it, but I just kind of like, you know, this is, I'm still thinking this is what I want at some point, you know? Um, and so she kind of opened up to the idea. And so we've, you know, it is, it is now a, a, a question mark, you know, it's not just a closed book, but, um, but I've kind of dialed back about, you know, like whether I want to have kids or not, you know, and it's like, it's, uh, I just, you know, I think that I really, you know, I was thinking about why I wanted to have kids, like the, the why behind it and like what I, what I wanted to get out of it, you know, like, like I like the idea of being able to, to provide, but there is selfish reasons for having kids, I think. Um, and, you know, and it was like wanting to, uh, create something like, like wanting to have just like hands on being able to like the ultimate art project is what I, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, and it's like, obviously they're their own individual, but you know, there's so much that you, you kind of shape some, you know, a young person. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I, I thought about that and I was like, I can do that through other things. It doesn't have to be kids. Right. And it's like, you know, and it, it could be kids if it was the right time and it works out. But there's so many kids that don't have parents and there's so many parents. This is my yep. my judgment <laughs> and I'll own that. But there's so many parents that shouldn't be parents, you know, <laughs> and I don't like to should on people. I don't like to should on people. Let's go through them. But, Rodrigo. Uh, <laughs> you know, every parent should be like, what? <laughs> uh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Sorry. <laughs> don't worry about it. But you know, don't I listen to this episode. Right? I think a lot of people would, you know, if they were honest with themselves, they'd probably say like, you know, I shouldn't have been a parent, you know, when I, when I, when that started or whatever, you know, and it's like, yeah, you make it work and, 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 you know, it ends up being a beautiful thing and you can grow into that. And 
It's a crazy world we have right now. You, there's a there's a study that says about 25% of millennials, maybe up to a third, do yeah. not want to have kids for like that yeah. exact reason. Like birds don't yeah. lay eggs when it doesn't feel safe. And yeah. right now, I don't think the world feels safe for our generation to be like, why would we do this? Yeah. But I don't think it has anything to do with where the world is today. Like the world is always upside down and people keep having children, like in the middle of pandemics and the middle of the black plague, people were having kids. Not, not the ones that should be like Carol and Sage necessarily. <laughs> oh, well, no, no, I agree. But the thing yeah. is people, people like <laughs> don't seem to care. Like, and I agree with you. Like, even for example, with coyotes, I was listening to this the other day, like even with coyotes, if, if they go out into the wild and they start howling, and they cannot hear like other coyotes howling back at them, then in that group of coyotes, when, when, a, when a coyote gets pregnant, they're going to have between five cubs, six cubs. But if they start howling and, and they get the message back from the people, that means that they're still alive. And if a coyote gets pregnant, they'll have one or two. Like either their organism adapts to the amount of, of population that they have around them. I don't feel like human beings have that. And if we ever did, we kind of broke it with our intelligence somehow. Uh, but well, what I wanted to address is this. I would love for you to have kids. <laughs> you don't need to. You don't need to. You definitely don't need to. Like you have a beautiful relationship and most people give their right arm to have a relationship like what you guys have. You definitely don't need to. Oh. But that's, that's true. No, no, and he offered his right arm. The cutest thing. <laughs> so, I mean, they're connected, these two. But what I'm, what I'm saying is this. Um, for you guys to, to be able to be parents there would be a leveling up that would need to happen because you guys are perfect for you right now. Very. And, and you know how to go through rough patches. You know how to talk about things. You know how to communicate. You know how not to create emotional meanings. You understand your biotypes. That's perfect. Do you have any idea what would happen to this couple if we give them a sanguine baby? <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to babysit Santi for a month? <laughs> oh, if you want to level up, I'll bring him for a month. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so what I want to tell you this is, what I want to tell you, Sage, is like, honestly, this. Um, fake fires go through a very dramatic transformation when they become mothers. And that's something that you need to be aware of, especially if you're, if you're the one that had like a little bit more of the idea at, at the very beginning. Um, fake fires find what really matters through their children. And it's not that they forget about their husband or uh, anything or their partner in any way like that. It's the tenderness that they find and the caring that they find for the baby kind of gets in their way. And they love it and they want to give it all to the baby, but it gets in the way of who they're used to being. And it's literally up to their partner to be there understanding the little bursts of fake fire energy that they'll have and the waterfalls of water that, that you'll see around you. Because you'll see levels of, like, levels of love that you didn't know were humanly possible. And then a lot of protection that's required for that level of love to actually feel comfortable just staying there. That's really interesting. One of the reasons I did not want to have kids, a big one, was I'm 
I'm the oldest uh, girl. I have an older brother and then two younger sisters. And I love them so much. And I was very like parentalized and protected them. I was so afraid of how much love I would have for a child. I was like, it could break me how much I would love that kid and the extents that I would go to. And like that felt too vulnerable and too scary and too much of like a risk. So it very much is like the amount of love that I would give is... But I was like, okay, well, I would do that because it could be all amazing as well. But it's that's very just you're right, Rodrigo, per usual. <laughs> <laughs> what awareness that Carol, yep. like that was yep. insane. Like you had you have this awareness about yourself that blows my mind. <laughs> Fake fires know that the thing is that most of them don't feel free to even talk about it. Mm-hmm. Is that why fake fires are afraid of their emotions? Because they're like... Yes, because they're holding down on them 24-7. And they're like, I know I know how I get, how much I can love, and it's... I know that if I experience that level of love, there's no way I can hold it down. One of the first conversations, this was like, I think two weeks after Sage and I went on our first date, I was like on the phone with my sister, and I was like, Katie... I'm terrified because I already like I'm falling for him and he could break me like the love that I have for him could break me and I have to find out because like it's it was that strong I was like I really think this could be something but I knew I was like this could destroy me because of how much love I have for him. If you're not afraid that the person that you're dating could destroy you emotionally (laughs) don't even date them. (laughs) Honestly, like if you're not willing to walk into a space in the relationship where they could hurt you, then you're not really in a relationship. Mm. When or do fake fires take breakups the worst of the biotypes just because it's so emotional and it's like there's a lot of emotion they haven't I think, looked at? I think pure phlegmatics take it worst, but, but you rarely see it happen. Like it, it happens more behind closed doors. And the meltdown is worst on, on just phlegmatics. With fake fires, you see the fireworks, my friend. Like, you'll, you'll find out exactly what they're feeling and exactly what they're going through. The thing with fake fires is that it can take them a while to bounce back until they feel calm enough to be go back into their normal. Also, I think with phlegmatics, it hits them pretty Im- immediately with fake fires they might feel it in five years when they finally get the chance to do with, it. with fake fires they fight it yeah. like as soon as they experience it there they fight it but sage i wanted to give you a specific now that now that carol opened so opened up something so important i actually want to address it carol can 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 i go a little bit deeper into something sure all right. Well, if you guys want to hear what we're about to dive deeper into, go over to patreon.com slash RGP development, where you can get access to the full versions of these episodes. Yep. These episodes are longer over on Patreon, patreon.com slash RGP development. Uh, you can also just Google Rodrigo's little buddies and click on the third link you see. Okay, great. What? <laughs> see you over there. What the hell is Rodrigo's little buddies? That's what Brian is. You know Rodrigo's little buddies? Calling us for years. Is Brian getting. I know he's been calling you that for years, but are you actually purchasing the site for people to click on the third link? I don't know. Click on that third link and say. You should get it. And the first link should be like nothing. The second link should be like nothing. And then the third link should be your patron. (laughs) Hey, maybe it is. Maybe it already is. (laughs) That's funny. Okay. Let's go into this, and I'm, I'm happy that this is behind the patron wall because this really matters. Want more Biotypical? Well, good news. There's a longer version of this episode available at patreon.com slash development. 
There you'll also be able to find ways to get on the podcast yourself, ask questions, as well as watch a live taping remotely. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and subscribing. Remember to rate this five stars wherever you're listening to it, and we'll see you next time.